0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our Braveheart teaching series, Courage in a World of Compromise. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 4, and we'll be looking at primarily 4, and we'll dabble in 5 a little bit, but those are the two chapters we're covering this weekend. Title of this weekend's message is Uncommon Faith. Uncommon Faith. Anybody know what this uh, book is up here? How many of you are familiar with this book? Show of hands, yes, yes, yes. How many would like to have this copy of this book? <laughs> this, uh, we've got about three of these copies, uh, different ones that our kids grew up with. This is The Great Waldo Search, Looking for Waldo. This is interesting, the guy that created this was an illustrator and he'd uh, draw these crowd scenes and these kids were kind of intrigued looking into details and he kind of discovered this by accident and started doing this and uh, 40 million copies later in 28 countries. Uh, he made quite a fortune just uh, putting Waldo somewhere in the, in the picture. And uh, Waldo is the, the geeky looking, uh, glasses wearing nerd with a striped shirt and kind of goofy hat. And he's somewhere on the page as you're kind of trying to find him there. And it's really quite interesting. Uh, he's on every page. And he's hidden to the untrained eye, so you have to kind of really look for him. And when you find him, when our kids would find him, uh, there was always a sense of joy and and accomplishment. We found Waldo! And uh, Martin Hanford, who's the uh, guy that put this together, um, the reason why he did this is because he wanted children to, uh, to develop... Uh, increased awareness and discernment as it relates to their surroundings and to also uh, help them to find wonder in places that might not have occurred to them. And uh, Waldo is on every page. He's just hard to find sometimes. And I was looking through this to see if I could find Waldo. And uh, he it really is hard to find. I mean, look at the busyness of that page. It's just almost—it's almost, almost crazy. But he's somewhere there. He's somewhere there, and once you discover him, you can go back to the page and go, there he is. You can even point him out to others, and we would try not to point him out to each other. They'd have dad come in there and try to find him in the page, and uh, it was kind of hard. I I did find Waldo over here on this page. You can barely see him, but he's right there. So he's on every page, and so I shared that with you because it's interesting, the Christian life... um, whether you realize it or not, God is on every page of your life. In fact, he's in every chapter of your life. And what you have to do over time is to learn to be discerning and to be aware of your surroundings enough to be able to identify him. Jesus put it like this. Take a look at your sermon notes. This is part of the intro. Jesus said that there are uh, more than two kinds of seeing and hearing. There are more than two kinds of seeing and hearing? What? What is he talking about? Yeah, in fact, he even said, seeing, but they don't see, hearing, but they don't hear. What did he mean by that? Well, you can have uh, physical eyes and ears, but you need to have spiritual eyes and ears. Because it tells us in Acts 17 28, in him we live, we move, we have our being. He's on every page of our lives and in every chapter, but we've got to learn to be able to be more sensitive to to what he's doing in our lives. And in fact, how does that apply to what we're studying this morning? Judges chapters 5, 4, and 5 are dealing with the same events from different perspectives. Judges 4 is from an earthly perspective. It's from the perspective of a historian. And then Judges 5 is from a heavenly perspective. It's poetry, it's a song, it's celebration. So in chapter four, God's hand is hinted at. It's hard to see God's hand. It's hard to see where God is and what's going on. There's something much deeper going on in in this spiritual realm. And then you go into chapter five, you begin to see God everywhere. He's everywhere. He's always been everywhere. We just couldn't see him. And so this idea of uncommon faith, uncommon faith lives in chapter four, with the chapter 5 perspective that's that's the definition of, of uh, faith Hebrews 11:1 gives us that's that whole faith chapter it says faith is being sure of what we hope for certain certain of what we do not see it also tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5:7 yes it says we walk by faith and not by what by sight, by sight. yeah isn't that interesting so there's the spiritual ability to be able to hear and see God working in our lives. Of course, that comes as a result of regeneration. But then, as Christians, we have to begin to develop this ability to to see God. And in fact, it tells us in Jeremiah 29:13, "You will seek him and find him when you seek him with what? All your heart." And uh, Hebrews 11:6 says the same thing. That uh, those that diligently seek him, he blesses those that diligently seek him. Kind of like looking for Waldo. Where is he? He's somewhere. He's on this page somewhere. Where's God? He's, he's on every page of your life. He's in every chapter of your life. He's working. And so uh, we want to develop an uncommon faith. And so let me, let me kind of tie that to this next thought. So it's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that matters most in life. So it's not what happens to you, it's not all of your problems you're dealing with, but it's, it's what happens in you, it's your perspective about all of your problems that's the most important thing about you. See, it's not the events of your life that make you feel and, and behave in the way that you feel and behave. It's your evaluation of the events of your life that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. And so, having uncommon faith, nothing will change your perspective like having an uncommon faith. Nothing will change your perspective like seeing the invisible hand of God, hearing the inaudible voice of God, and seeing and experiencing the inexplicable presence of God. Because He's on every page, He's in every chapter of our lives. He's working in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, this uncommon faith. And I called it uncommon because it should be common, but believe it or not, here in America, it's becoming more and more uncommon. People just kind of check the church box, go through the motions. They have a said faith, but it's not a real faith. It doesn't impact their life. It doesn't change their lives. And so we're seeing the same thing happen here in the book of Judges so the same thing that's happening in the book of Judges is happening right here in America today, and so it's really critical that we learn, really, what is this uncommon faith, and that's where we're headed. So before we look at this text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? We need all the help we can get, and God is here to help us. Father God, through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, may we be people of uncommon faith, people who see your invisible hand working for our good and your glory, hearing your inaudible voice convicting, comforting, and changing our lives. And may we be people who experience your undeniable presence, satisfying the deepest longings of our souls. Help us to realize that there is an unseen battle for the hearts and lives of every person on this planet and then we can be a part of, of changing the eternity of men and women around the world. May we realize, unlike ever before, that the light, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we bring is the only true and lasting hope the world will ever have. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. now. So far in this study, it's been a crazy study as we've been working through the book of Judges. I don't know if you've ever read the book, but it's a pretty interesting book. A lot of of pastors, a lot of churches won't even delve into it. And uh, so it's a pretty hard study, actually. And then so far, we've seen a king with amputated thumbs and big toes. Pretty interesting. And then last week, we saw a left-handed dude that was from a tribe that was known for their right hand because he was crippled in his right hand or right arm, and he loses his sword in a very obese king. So you'll have to read that on your own or go online and listen to the message, but pretty fascinating. So we've got another really fascinating story here today. I begin reading chapter four, verses one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, that's that left-handed warrior Ehud, died. Stop there just for a minute I need to remind you over and over again about what evil is. And evil is found in Jeremiah 2.13, gives us the definition of evil. Evil is the suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water, that is God, Christ Jesus, the suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water for broken cisterns that have no water. They're not going to satisfy you in the long run. And so that we do that regularly. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We worship and serve created things more than the Creator. That's Romans one twenty-five, And so that's what these folks are doing. And so you guys remember the C, the C words that talk about this decline in their life. It starts with complacency, complacency about their relationship with God. And when you're complacent about God, it's just a matter of time. You're going to become, what's the next C word? Anybody? Compromise. You're going to compromise. Because he's not real to you. So complacency, compromise, compromise leads to crisis. It's going to invite problems in your life. You're living for anything and everything other than God. And then that crisis brings this crying out to God. You're going to beeline it back to church and hang out with Christians because you, you realize, wow, that's what I, I, I should have been doing all along. And so you cry out to God. God sends a judge to rescue you. And that brings, after that crying out, this uh, covenant renewal. And then we go right back through that cycle again. We see that over and over again in the book of Judges. We see it in the nation of Israel. We see it in our own lives as we kind of really struggle with all of this. And so that's what's happening here, verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the land, into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. And I'm not hooked on phonics, and I have a hard time reading those. That's a big one there. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they've got this, they've got major oppression happening because they had the complacency compromise and crisis has hit them and now they're crying out. They cried out to the Lord for help for he had, so this Sisera, this commander of this army that opposed the nation of Israel had 900 chariots of iron. So these are the smart bombs and the drones of their day. And, uh, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, I love Deborah, Deborah's gonna step up here. This is one great woman. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So so she's like a counselor. She's sorting through issues for the people of Israel. They're quite a mess, and she's really helping them sort through this stuff. She sent and summoned uh, Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, so she's speaking kind of truth into this, this barrack dude and says, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabar, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with its chariots and its troops and I will give him into your hand. Stop there just for a minute. Now let me give you some, we're gonna kind of walk through this like we've been walking through this. We're gonna read a little bit and then I'll give you some fill in the blanks. So we're answering the question, what is an uncommon faith? Here's what an uncommon faith starts with in the story. We see this, it preaches and teaches the word of God. We see that in verse four. She was a prophetess, that's what prophets do. And that's what any godly person does. We won't get into all the nuances of what it means to be a prophetess, but I know in general, leaders preach and teach God's word. And by the way, leaders teach and preach God's word because they want God's people to teach and preach God's word. I teach and preach God's word every weekend so that you can teach and preach God's word to your family and your friends and the people around you. So this isn't the only time that the teaching and preaching of God's word should take place. It should take place in your life every, every day. And so, on. this is just the catalyst. And so, we see this with, with her. She's teaching and preaching God's word. And by the way, the reason why I say that, and I base it certainly on scripture, but Joshua 1.8, do you remember what God said to them, the commissioning, as they were going into the promised land? He said, don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes on, on my word. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And then you'll be able to do everything that is written in it. He's not talking to Deborah or the leaders. He's saying, all the people, and that's to all of us. We should be meditating on this book. We should should be absorbing this book daily. So let me ask you some uh, some hard questions. When you leave here, is this the only time you ever pick up the Bible? Is this the only time you ever think about God's Word? I hope not, because you're not going to be very healthy. You're not going to be very strong. You're, You're not obeying really what the Bible teaches here in regards to God's Word. I had to be able to come to you as a Christian. Now, if you're a young Christian, I understand. But as you get older in the Lord, I had to come to you and say, hey, what is the Bible say about parenting? What does the Bible say about relationships? What does the Bible say about how I can have an intimate relationship with God? You ought to be able to take me to those places. In fact, I ought to be able to come to you and say, hey, what has God been speaking to you lately? And there should be almost kind of this excitement that says oh my goodness you can't believe this but I was studying this last week or when we were studying this last weekend God began to speak to me so vividly and strongly and so I began to follow this kind of trail throughout the Bible and God is really transforming my life in this area. That, that's, that's how you would respond. If, if, if this is on weekend services the catalyst and then you're beginning to preach and teach God's word and, and, and begin to know a lot about because every breath God's word, all scripture is God-breathed, is God-breathed. This is the breath of God. You want to get up close and personal with God and have him breathe on you? You ever been so close to someone that their breath, you can feel their breath? (sighs) Hopefully they have a good breath. (sighs) But they're breathing on you. This is the breath of God upon our lives. We can, we can encounter the God of the galaxy. So Deborah was one that had an uncommon faith. She had interaction with God, was preaching and teaching the word of God. And she also knew, and I think this is part of this uncommon faith, knowing God of the Bible is more than information. This isn't about information that we're, we're looking at this morning. It's about intimacy. You got to take it from information to intimacy with the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Only he can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. See, that's the essence of the Christian life. And so you do that through preaching and teaching God's word, sharing. And of course, this is going to lead to the next. Lives a life of wisdom and character. You see this in verse 5 of of Deborah. The people of Israel came to her for judgment. People came to her to settle all kinds of social, spiritual, relational problems. And uh, I was thinking that uh, that illustration I was using... (coughs) As it relates to, uh, I'm involved in uh, several different groups, but we got a couple guys groups that meets uh, early in the morning, guys, before you go to work, if you want to come here on Tuesday mornings or or Thursday mornings. And the the Tuesday morning is a great group. The guy was in here in the first service. The guy's name is, uh, what's the guy's name that leads that group? Anybody remember? Jeff, Jeff, Yeah. Jeff Gennaro. Neat guy. He was sitting right back over here. And so they're doing some phenomenal studies there. But then I go to the one on Thursday morning, which is a great group. And I, one of the young guys in there, I was just really like, stoked because they, they were talking about different things that God has been speaking to them. And this one young guy, it's uh, Jordan Hillis was saying uh, about... Uh, some verses that have meant a lot to him in parenting. I don't know how the topic, uh, topic came up, but he said, "Hey, here's what God speaks to me about parenting. These are significant verses on parenting." And I went and I go, "Well, those are great verses. You know, where'd you get those?" And he basically said, "I got them from my dad, and he passed these on to me, and I'm wanting to pass these on to my kids." See, that's that whole idea: preaching and teaching God's word, lives a life of wisdom and character. And, uh, and because you're able to say, hey, what, what, are you, what are you wanting to speak to me as it relates to parenting? How can I become the kind of parent that honors you, God? So wisdom, this idea that she is a person of wisdom and character, wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. You know one of the reasons why we're overwhelmed by the trials of life? Is because we're not seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. One of the reasons why we're overtaken by the temptations of life? Because we're not seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. And by the way, you guys know what the, the beginning of wisdom is? The beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's, that's just ground, you know, that's first base. That's very, very, very elementary. So wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. And that perspective is that, listen to me, that God is for you and not against you. He's bigger than any trial or any temptation you'll ever face. But we cave in in direct proportion to we've got a real small view of God and we don't have wisdom and we're not responding to life from God's perspective. And therefore, we're not going to have character. Here's what character is. Character is, is behavior behavior that is the product of choices based on our values, based on our godly values, based on God's word. So it's my behavior, I'm gonna respond to life based on decisions I make, a choice that I make because of certain values I have versus, versus a person who lacks character, that their behavior is the product of feelings as a result of their circumstances. That's a terrible roller coaster way to live life rather than say, wait a minute, I feel this way but I know this is what God's word says. This is my reality, this is true and therefore I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna respond this way. And so uncommon faith preaches and teaches God's word, lives a life of wisdom and character. Now I need to talk a little bit about women in ministry, okay? Because this gal is in ministry. She's kind of leading the pack in a lot of ways and so let me just say this right up front. Um, just so that you understand this, is that uh, what I'm talking about here is in the category of non-essentials. When you look at church and Christian doctrine, there are essentials, there are non-essentials, and then there's everything else. So in the essentials, there needs to be unity, essential Christian doctrine. In the non-essentials, there is liberty. We can debate it, we shouldn't divide over it. But in all things, we need to show love. Okay, so this fits into the category of, of non-essentials. The reason why I say that is because I've got a lot of brothers and sisters out there that believe contrary to, the, than, than what we believe here at Desert Breeze. In fact, I was raised in a church that ordained women in ministry. The women there were, we had women pastors. And, uh, and so we actually kind of see it a little bit differently here at Desert Breeze. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, and, and, and by the way, we've had people leave the church over this issue. And we had uh, someone leave uh, a number of years ago. Uh, we were calling our children's pastor, who's, who was female. It was my sister at the time. We called her children's pastor because she's a pastor. She pastors the children. And they freaked out over the fact that we used the word Pastor. Women are not pastors, and then they left the church over that. And then we had someone leave the church over the fact that when they came in and they asked if we had any uh, women part of our elder board, and we said, no, we don't. We said, well, we're going to leave your church because we think that's wrong. And said, so, okay. <laughs> Whatever. I said, we, you know, so we tried to explain to them, but they didn't, they didn't agree. So let me just say that this can be certainly controversial. I think we can debate it. We shouldn't divide over it, but I can establish to you a little bit of what, uh, what we're about here, just so you guys know. And uh, we believe that the church is to be led by Jesus Christ through a plurality of leaders known as elders and deacons. Now, as the founding pastor of this church, I set it up like that, and I'm a part of a, a board of, of men. There's seven of us, and they can fire me and I like that, and I think that's very healthy. I know a lot of pastors kind of do more of a CEO thing, and you can't fire him, he fires everybody else before he, they, they can fire him, but that doesn't work that way. These guys love the Lord unbelievably and love this church. It's been a phenomenal uh, group of men, and, and I love it. I think it's a great, really a great way to, to lead the church. They, they love God and love this church very much, and um, and so this is what we believe at Desert Breeze: is that men and women are equal in importance, but different in performance. Were you able to track with that? I said the first service, and it kind of had that glazed-over look. It's like, or the first service, yeah, first service. They're kind of like, huh? So, so we, men and women, are equal in importance, but we're we're different in performance. Just kind of how God's wired us up, and women are free to use their gifts in every role except the one God has reserved for men, which in the Old Testament is priests. And I gave you some verses there. By the way, this is on your notes. I put a kind of a brief scenario of this so that you can look at this. And so women are free to use their gifts in every area role except the one God has reserved for men, which is priest in the Old Testament. And then those who teach with authority in the New Testament. Okay? And, and let me just say something about uh, women in this church. That if all the women left Desert Breeze, there would no longer be a desert breeze, okay? Because the women have done the bulk of the work at this church, and it's been like that ever since I've been a part of a local church family. Because the men are slow in stepping up. And it shouldn't be that way. But I thank God for the women here because they do phenomenal work, amazingly. Yes, praise God. Praise God. That, that was a woman that was clapping back there. No, that's actually one of our elders right back there that he initiated that. I agree with him 100% too. I believe that. And women have done a phenomenal phenomenal job in this church. Women can do everything that a man who isn't an elder can do. This is not to say that women are, are less valuable since our value as humans lies in being made in the image of God, not in what we do. Otherwise, a president would be intrinsically more valuable than someone who is unemployed. We don't believe that. It's not based on what you do. It's based on the fact that you're an image, image bearer of God. And so women can actually here it does really teach and preach God's word at a whole lot of different levels. We've got them leading small groups. They, they head up ministries here. But this position of this general oversight is reserved for men and they're Seven. And so they they're the kind of the covering, they're the protection. Because here's a couple different reasons for that. There's jobs in this church that the elders have to do that I would never ever send my wife to do. It's very adversarial when you're dealing with predators and people and you need to bring church. Just I never send my wife to do that. I'm I'm gonna do that task. I'm gonna take an elder with me. We're gonna work through this, we're gonna protect the flock. See, I believe that, the, that these men, and they have, they take the bullets. They're to take the bullets to create a safe environment so that we can minister to one another and love one another. And so um, so that's important to always keep in mind. And, and I'll tell you what, there are many wo- women in this church, particularly my wife, has spoken into my life tremendously. And I value their input. And... Um, Next point, motivates others to hear and heed God's voice. That's what you see with Deborah. She preaches and teaches the word of God. She lives a life of wisdom and character. And she motivates others to hear and heed God's voice. Let me tell you something. There have been times in my, when my wife has spoken in, into my life. Look at what she's saying here, verses six and seven. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? This is Deborah speaking to, to Barak. Has not God said this to you? She's speaking into his life. That's, that's wonderful, And uh, there have been times my wife has said, hey, dude, we need to go to church. It's like, oh, I don't want to go to church. No, no, no. I I believe that's what the Bible teaches. We need, we need to go to church. I don't want to go to church. Those people are a mess and they don't like me. Give me one reason why we need to go to church. And she said, because you're the Pastor. (laughs) So, I mean, she, she has been a source of encouragement. Even before I was a pastor, I guess who was taking me to church? I should have been taking her, and I feel bad about it now. I should have been leading her away. But she was saying, hey, dude, we need to go to church. Ah, gee, Lord, yeah. And uh, she has spoken into my life tremendously. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about it in a little bit uh, that I, not, I would not be pastoring today if it hadn't been for her influence an impact in my own life and many others here at this church that have spoken into my life. So it motivates others to hear and heed God's voice. Um, Hebrews 10.24 is is the theme verse for the women's uh, retreat this summer, at the end of the summer. And it goes like this. Let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good deeds. So let me ask you this. Do you have people in your life that can speak into your life if they stir up within you this desire for God, You begin to hear his voice more clearly because it kind of moves away all the clutter and the junk, the junk in our lives. When you read in chapter 5, it gives you a little bit of a, a, you know, a view, a glimpse into the spiritual realm of what's happening in chapter 4. There's major chaos happening among the nation of Israel. This, this is a dog-eat-dog society. Judges chapter, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It's every man for himself. They desperately need people to speak God's word and stir up a greater appetite within them for God. And so Deborah steps up and does that and speaks into Barak's life. And I asked my wife about this. I shared it last night. She goes, now, nah, you need to share this. And so I was, gonna, I was gonna omit a few things, but she said, no, this is a, a good thing to share as it relates to motivating others to hear and heed God's voice. And really, what are we doing when we, when we motivate others to hear and heed God's voice? It's really about growth and maturity and spiritual disciplines and growth is really about increasing our capacity to experience more and more of the presence of God, to hear his voice more clearly and there's a couple things that keep us from hearing God's voice. One is is the, is the external distractions, and so we must ruthlessly eliminate external distractions from, from our lives. Otherwise, people can come alongside of us and try to stir us up towards love and good deeds, and we don't hear them. Or here's another one that's really, really critical. Not just external distractions, but internal, but internal offenses. Internal offenses? Yeah, bitterness. Bitterness will cause your heart to get hard. And it doesn't matter who comes alongside of you to kind of stir up your appetite for God, you're not going to hear it. It's going to bounce off of you like a bullet on on metal or a rock. So, unless you're processing life and working through the issues of your life, your heart is going to become more bitter and bitter, and it's going to become harder, and you're not going to be sensitive to the voice of God. You're not going to hear his voice. And so, preaches and teaches God's word, uncommon faith, lives a life of wisdom and character, motivates others to hear and heed God's voice. And then let's continue reading. So, verses eight through nine. And then Barak said to her, this is Deborah, said to uh, Deborah, if you will not go. So, she's challenging him to gather the army together and get out there and start fighting. And he says, he's a smart man here, if you will not go with me, I will not go. But if you will Oh, I'm sorry. I said, I said that wrong, didn't I? If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. That's exactly what I said to my wife when, we, when I said, I feel like God has called us to, to start a church. And she goes, what? No, that's really what she says. She's like, what? Are you like crazy, dude? You know how hard that is? We're going to get annihilated. I know, I know. We probably will but there's no way, I'm, you know, I want to get annihilated unless I have you with me. <laughs> and then we can get annihilated together. <laughs> and, and, and we have in a lot of ways, but God's grace is so, let me just say, God's grace is so sufficient. Oh my goodness. And we have such a great group of people here. It's just, it's just been wonderful. In so many ways, it's been really, really hard and really difficult, but I, that's what I told her. I said, I'm not going I'm not going unless God puts this on, her, on your heart too. And God put that on her heart. And I said, we're, it's gonna be the pedal to the metal until we die, we will love these people and be with these people and pastor these people and point these people to Jesus as long as we live. And we've been doing it for a whole lot of years, and we're going to continue to do it for a whole lot of years. But there was no way I was going to do that apart from her. That's what he's saying here. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. You're not going to get any glory out of this. And His response is like, ah. I mean, he's like, sign me up. He says, it will not, lead, it will not be your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera, Uh, into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Let me give you some more points. So so Uncommon Faith recognizes that winning in life is a team sport or winning in spiritual warfare or this battleground that we find ourselves in called life is a team sport. I mean, verse 8, if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, when you study into chapter 5, you realize they're not the only ones that are going. They're rallying the troops. They're gathering people up. And by the way, this church outgrew me back at my home. When we were in my home, there were 16 of us, the church grew to 40, boom, it was past my ability to really pastor. And it was really necessary that many people begin to get off the bench and get in the game and, and begin to use their giftings. And, and we've seen that consistently throughout this church. The reason why this church has grown and been healthy and strong through the years is because many people like yourselves have given of your time and your talent, and your finances regularly and consistently. And so that's what's going on here. It's not just Deborah and Barak. They're rallying the troops. And In fact, it even tells us that in, in Judges chapter 5, verses 2 and 9. That's why I put the gifts of the Spirit down there. And, uh, and here's the idea, is that none of us, none of us is as smart and talented as all of us. I mean, the potential we have here and what you see happen here on weekend services, I'm kind of just the big mouth here, okay, on weekend services. I'm just here to, I'm the catalyst, but man, there's more ministry that goes on, you know, uh, underneath the service throughout the week than what you could ever imagine because of people like yourselves being involved in ministry and in our small groups and our, with our children and in so many different aspects of this church. There is no way you will be able to grow spiritually and be used powerfully by God apart from deep involvement in a community of believers like Desert Breeze. I, uh, there was a firefighter, uh, there's a few firefighters that are here, police officers too, right back over here. And so that's the reason why I kinda look over there from time to time, because if you guys get a little bit too threatening here, I, got to, I, gotta, I gotta back up right over here, baby. But, uh, but there was a firefighter gal sitting right here in this row uh, last night. Her name's Megan, and I asked Megan, I said, so what did they teach you, you know, when you went through the fire academy? What about freelancing? Can you freelance on a fire? And she goes, are you kidding? You'll get killed. You'll get hurt. Same thing goes for the Christian life. No freelancing, you need a team, you need a family, you need an army. That's what they're doing here. They're gathering the army to take on God's enemies. There's a couple firefighters right there. Yeah, freelancing, you remember that? That phrase, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, who would ever think of doing that? But it, you do it as a team. You got to do it as a team. Here's the next point. Love's being used by God because we get the blessing and, and God gets the glory. And so, uncommon faith loves being used by God because we get the blessing; God gets the glory. Verse nine: the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. So he was like, "Hey, it doesn't matter. It's not about me anyway. I just want to be a part of this because he understood the blessing of God. Blessing is to be found in fighting for and with God, putting ourselves in service, whatever the odds or likely the cost." Conversely, when you read chapter five, you realize that there's a whole group of people. Verses 23 and 24 of chapter five. Conversely, there is a curse for those who do the opposite, who stay home. There's a whole group of people that just stayed home. We're not gonna fight. We're not gonna get involved. I know he talks about time, talents, and treasure. We're all supposed to participate in that. Eh, let somebody else do that. It says there that there's a curse. There's a curse when, when you just say, ah, I'm going to do my own thing. As opposed to the amazing blessing that is experienced. By the way, the motivation of this, the focus of the Christian life, the motivation of the Christian life is not our, our love for God, our serving God, but his love for us. We are not saved by the love we, we give, but by the love we trust. His love, his love awakens our love in response So, if you're not wanting to get involved, it's it's probably because you you have not been awakened to his love. Or maybe it's been a while since you've really experienced his love. Because when your life is awakened by his love, oh my goodness. You want to get involved. Because she says, hey, it's not going to be about your glory. No problem. I love the blessing I already have in God, and I just want to share it with the world. I want to deal with God's enemy here. I'm going to rally the troops, even if it's against all odds. Now, we 're not to the really the, the really good part of the story, but, but this next part is, is good because we 're about ready to get to the really good part of the story so i, I can 't wait but let 's read verses ten through fifteen and Barak called out um, zebulon Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and ten thousand men went at his heels and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, so it kind of does this little thing real quick. He's going to give us a little scenario, uh, kind of goes off, says, hey, he's kind of giving us a little bit of a commentary because we're going to see these people later on in the story. These are kind of Bedouin sheep herders that are out there kind of doing their own thing. They're not really committed to any group of people. They're kind of uh, in this neutral zone, but they're going to play a part in this story here. So now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the from the Kenites the descendants of of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far as the oak of (laughs) Zaninanim. There you go. Which is near Kadesh. That's the last time i will have to say that one. When Sisera, was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herashath Hagoyim to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, check this out, this is good, okay. Up! Get up! Weeds need to be pulled in the backyard. (laughs) Okay, I shouldn't have said that because that's a... But it's almost kind of like she's like motivating him. She's going, come on, dude. Up, exclamation mark. For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Now, check this out. Does not the Lord go out before you? So, Barak uh, went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him and the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. What? He left his chariot? That's crazy. Let me give you a couple next uh, thoughts here. So, uncommon faith knows who it is who goes before you and shows courage in the face of humanly overwhelming odds. That's what Deborah says, she says, hey, the Lord, does not the Lord God go out before you now now, listen to me, everybody look up here, you gotta get this. If you had any idea who goes before you, if you had any idea who walks with you throughout the day, never to leave you or forsake you, nothing can separate you from his love. He is for you and not against you. The more you understand that, the more you can take on all of the obstacles and difficulties and the problems of your life. The problem is, is that you forget the gospel. You forget what you have in him. That's why she's saying, up! Up, dude, come on. God's going before you. He's leading the way. He's got you covered. And that's, that's, that's uncommon faith. It knows who it is who goes before you, shows courage in the face of humanly overwhelming odds. Don't fear weaknesses, insults, or hardships. God's grace is sufficient. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Be afraid of times when you don't think you need God. That's when you need to be afraid. But if you're struggling with weakness, praise God. It's an opportunity for him to show you his strength. And the problem behind all of our problems, as I said last week, is that we forget the gospel, spiritual amnesia. Here's the next point. So uh, uncommon faith realizes that we are no match for life's difficulties, but life's difficulties are no match for God. I mean, this is crazy that in verse 15, Sisera, so secure in his chariots, abandons his own. Now, this gives us a little bit of insight into the story. When you go to chapter 5, you begin to realize why he does this. Chapter 5, verse 4, it says that God brought a rainstorm. Think about it rainstorm? And then verse 21 that overflowed the banks of the river, making his chariots useless. Remember wheels in mud? They were useless. Now, some uh, commentators and theologians would say, well, this is during the dry season. This truly is a miracle. And in fact, he would have never taken his chariots down by the river if he knew there was a chance of a storm blowing in and overflooding the river, creating this, their inability to m- navigate and move the chariots. And so he, I mean, he exits. This is God's hand. This is God working. He's on every page of our lives. He's in every chapter of our lives. He's working. We, we could see it in chapter four, but we read chapter five and we see him. We see what he's up to. Uh, Dan Finneman, one of, our, one of our elders, and I love our elders, and we pray with people. They come through, uh, through our meetings, and we'll anoint them with oil. We pray with them, and I love to hear the prayers of, of these guys. But uh, about a month or so ago, Dan Finneman, we were praying for someone, and he, he recited this, this as a prayer. It was Psalm 121. Let me recite it to you. It's, it's a wonderful psalm. It's absolutely wonderful. Great psalm. It's probably probably one of your favorites. It's mine. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I mean, if if that's not just a concept, but it becomes a reality within your heart, oh my goodness. He goes on. in from this time forth, forevermore. See, it's not that we we overestimate our problems and pain, but that we we underestimate God's presence, power, and peace in our lives. If we had any idea who it is that is for us and not against us. See, we're going to face those overwhelming obstacles. If, If we believe that God, the God, the great God of the universe really loves us, it should make us emotionally unshakable in the face of criticism, suffering, and even death. The God of the galaxies loves me and he's going to take care of me. Now, we get to a really good part of the story. This is good. I've been waiting all day for this. This is great. Verses 16 through 24 where we continue our reading. We'll finish it up right here. So Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Hogoim, Hagoim Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of J.L. I love J.L. She's a sweetheart. The wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin. Remember the little scenario that we talked about earlier? So, so there, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazar and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. Oh, isn't that nice? And he said to her, please give me a little water. No, I'm not gonna give him water, I'm gonna give him milk. For I am thirsty, as he says. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. I don't think they needed that last sentence there. (laughs) no kidding this is my kind of woman by the way guys if you have this kind of woman you better sleep with one eye open if she ever has one of those jl moments look out this gal's not messing around now immediately some of you are thinking what She was almost like she coerced him in there, bedded him down, gave him some milk, got him all comfortable, and then she drove a spike into his skull. Oh my goodness! Now, what's interesting about this is that the women knew how to swing a hammer. It's because they set up and broke down the tents, and so she knew how to how to swing a hammer. Now, let's continue on with the story because you're probably still perplexed. I'm going to give you a little understanding of this as we work through this. But uh, verse 22, and behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in to her tent and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. I want you to take note of the contrast between these two verses here, verse 23. So God's at hand, God's working, but verse 24 it says, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And so let me give you the last few points here. We're almost finished. So... Uh, Uncommon faith seeks justice, but ultimately realizes that no one gets away with anything in God's coming judgment. Now, you guys probably don't know this, but when you look into chapter, chapter five, it gives you a little insight into this Sisera, his life. And in verse, um, in verse 30, it's pretty despicable. Let me read it to you. This is what this scissor would do. Sisera liked, verses 28 through 30 actually tells us that in chapter five. Sisera liked to steal and rape and enslave women. And in fact, it says in verse 30, a womb or two for every man. You get what he's saying? The word womb here means wench or girl slave. Yeah, take your pick, guys. You can take a couple with you. Use and abuse them. Well, that's this guy. So there's a bit of poetic justice that the man who used women as objects is killed by a womanly object, by a woman. Now, listen to me. He got what was coming to him. It's called justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. And I believe that God used her to bring justice to him. Now, Thank God if you know Jesus, we don't get justice. Justice was laid on him, and we get mercy and grace. And that's, and that's what you need to keep in mind. But let me tell you something. This is in the Bible to tell us that judgment awaits all of those who refuse God's offer of grace through Jesus Christ. So sometimes we, get, we struggle over the fact that we like our justice system, but sometimes it's a little bit unjust, and that guy got away with murder. No, he didn't. Nobody gets away with anything because one of these days, God will balance the book, settle the score, make things right. That's what this story is telling us. God is a God of justice, and this guy got it. This guy got it. And, uh, and so here's the next point on your notes, uh, and uh, understands, so uncommon faith understands that divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together like two pedals on a bike. And you see that as I stated in verses 23 and 24. 23 and, and 24. Proverbs 21, 30 through 31, it says, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against God. The horse is made ready for battle, but victory belongs in the hands of the Lord. So what do we need to do? We need to seek God, we need to obey him, and uh, let the chips fall, fall where they may That comes to parenting, that comes to marriage, that comes to everything. You do your part, you take care of your side of the street, and you gotta leave the results in God's hands and trust him with that. And that's a little bit of that idea. Rest can't be found in trying to figure it all out, but it's found in the one who has it all figured out for our good and his glory. Last point, uncommon faith isn't over honored by success or despairing in struggles because it sees God's hand in everything ever praising God's grace. That's all of chapter five. That's a chapter five perspective. That whole thing is a song, it's celebration. It's that, hey, God's in control. He loves, he knows, he cares. He's gonna take care of us. And so it's, this, it's a song of praise. I gave you some uh, verses that talk about praise. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So praise, thanksgiving, gratitude is evidence of a heart that is trusting God. Why? Because you know that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9.8. So I want to have uncommon faith. How about you? Yeah, yeah, let's pray. Thank you, God, that, uh, that Jesus is the true and better Deborah, Barak, and J.L., who, being full of wisdom, character, courage, and strength, drove a tent peg into the skull of our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death. Through his death on the cross, he did that of unimaginable cost. May we be people who preach and teach your word, live lives of wisdom and character, and motivate others to hear and heed your voice. Thank you, Father, for this church family of many who faithfully give of their time and their talent and their finances so that we can continue to fight for the hearts and lives of people in this community and beyond for your glory. Increase our capacity to see your invisible hand, hear your inaudible voice, and experience your inexplicable yet undeniable, soul-satisfying presence, giving us strength and courage to face anything with hearts filled with praise, thanksgiving, and gratitude for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great weekend.